2: I'm a pa. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch, episode 41, covering Open the Ultimate Gate 2013 from Secaucus, New Jersey at the Meadowlands Expo Center on April 6, 2013. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms or applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, there's no obligation whatsoever. Just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our red circle Website, and you just click the red box that says sponsor the show. You can do a one time and recurring donation. Uh, no obligation whatsoever again, but we'd like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join us always with my friend and co host, Case low in case we are probably at the most consequential Dragon USA show before the end of the promotion. It's Ultimate Gate 2013, the, the by far one of the biggest shows in the company's history. And it's taken us now. We're episode 41. And boy, did did this card feel a little bit different to me watching it now seven years later than I did live.
1: It's crazy. I think when we started this project, there were a few marquee shows that we knew we were going to hit. And a lot of them were obviously the first two shows, Phoenix WrestleMania weekend, more so just because of the Davy situation than anything that actually happens on those shows. You have the Danielson matches. You've got... I, I will say some stuff with Ronan that I knew was going to be on the radar and specifically Gargano winning the Freedom Gate title from Yamato at the end of 2011. But the other one is Ultimate Gate 2013. And it's hard to believe that, you know, we're now at a point where we've hit this show. We've watched everything up to this point. And we are now here for what was the largest attendance Dragon Gate USA ever had. Probably, and I don't know this for sure, but judging from what Dave alludes to in The Observer, the most bought eye-per-view... Dragon Gate USA ever had, and just a really big show. One that I think up top, just my brief thought is that it captured the essence of what Dragon USA was trying to do, probably more than any other show since the first anniversary show in July of 2010, with the four way freestyle with Chikara versus Kamikaze USA and with Danielson versus Shingo in the main event. We've obviously loved a bunch of shows in the middle there. But it seems like the initial thought process of what Gate USA would have been, which is these spot shows that feature supercar type matches a few times a year, especially on WrestleMania weekend. It seems like this is the show that fits that model more than any of them in just about three years.
2: Yeah, and it's real interesting comparing it to that first anniversary show because there's a lot of similarities and we'll get into it when we get into the card itself. It's just kind of a remarkable thing getting to this point in this and it it, it's something that like i have cherished like the hidden gems that we found but this was kind of one of the things i was really looking forward to when launching this project with you is be able to watch like these big touchstone shows with like clear eyes with enough distance that you know i could have a different evaluation for it and it's all very very interesting and especially I mean, just top to bottom, it's one of the the most jam packed shows they would ever have. So I'm glad we're going to get to talk about it. But this is WrestleMania Week in 2013, Case. And it's the launch of something new. And we have a bunch of stuff that we kind of want to go over before we get into the show itself, Case. So where do you want to start off with?
1: Well, it's the first WrestleMania Weekend that feels like a WrestleMania Weekend. And we talked about in Phoenix during the first one in 2010, where it was literally just Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate USA running. And then in 2011, it was Ring of Honor at Center Stage in Dragon USA, and their uh, a small or their low ceiling facility that that impacted those shows greatly. 2012, there was some Wrestle Reunion stuff going on in Miami, but it was still just primarily Dragon USA and Ring of Honor. And this year, we have the first year of WrestleCon, which housed Chikara, CZW, Dragon Gate USA, Evolve, and Shimmer. If you remember from WrestleMania weekend 2012, there is a moment where Lenny Leonard, DJ Hyde, and Shima stood in the ring with one another, which is my favorite moment in the history of Dragon Gate USA. They announced all of these promotions with Chikara, uh, being the being the promotion that when that was announced, it was like the Beatles were reuniting. The Chikara Pop was unbelievable. Now, a year later, they're all in Secaucus, New Jersey. And then you also have Ring of Honor running the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. And you also have Pro Wrestling Syndicate running in New Jersey as well at the SMG Sportsplex. I will read this note in the Observer real quick that Dave says, One person close to WrestleCon noted that it is amazing how much money fans were spending. The belief now is that for independents, this is going to be very much like Christmas for merchants in the sense that they'll work year-round, trying to stay even, with all the real profits being made in one weekend, or perhaps one big weekend and a big Christmas season. So, Mike, just off the bat, that is what WrestleMania weekend has become seven and a half years later. This is the foundation for it, right? Right.
2: Right, yeah. If the Davy incident in 2010 in Phoenix between Ring of Honor and DGUSA was kind of the launching of the idea of PWG as uh, super indie Switzerland and the idea of the first schism towards WrestleMania weekend, this is the full maturation of it. Because when we just like look back into 2020, all the companies that were heavily reliant on having a WrestleMania in Tampa and the uh, aftermath of COVID-19, I mean, you could directly say that there would probably still be an evolve in some fashion if WrestleMania 2020 wasn't canceled because how much, how reliant that at least Gabe's business model became based off of the WrestleMania, the WrestleMania weekend, just business. So yeah, no, I mean, this is incredibly pressure. And I mean, for the next six years, this kind of has been what WrestleMania and... little bit towards SummerSlam, but not as much Uh weekend has been.
1: So we're going to go in chronological order here of all the shows that took place this weekend. And we start on April 4th, 2013 with Pro Wrestling Syndicate. I would imagine this is the only time we talk about this promotion, but it's WrestleMania weekend. And there are a few matches on this show on these two shows. They run a double shot that I feel are worth mentioning. So on night one, You had the opening match, Trent Beretta, fresh off of his WWE release, and we'll be talking about him more later on in the show. Trent Beretta defeats Sanjay Dutt. You had a match where Dan Moff in the year 2013 defeated Kevin Steen in six minutes. Uh, Starman won the PWS Tri-State title from Alex Reynolds. Mike, are you familiar with the man behind the mask of Starman?
2: I would argue that probably everyone who is listening to this show knows who this is and he's talked about it openly we're not playing a lanza uh silver ant thing it's joey janela
1: Yes, Joey Janela making his presence felt WrestleMania weekend 2013. There was an ECW revival match with John Morrison defeating Elijah Burke. I guarantee that match was horrible, but the matches that closed out this show all sound pretty good with the Rock and Roll Express defeating the Briscoe brothers in just under four minutes. Kevin Matthews retaining the PWS heavyweight title against Colt Cabana in a three-way match your main event jushin thunder liger and pay attention to these names that he defeats in a triple threat match jushin thunder liger defeats anthony nice and Davey richards so mike that is pws night one those matches that i listed there are a few more on the show but they weren't super important is that getting you in the door if you are if you figured out transportation if it is just a matter of whether or not you want to go to this show or not are you going to this show
2: if i didn't see the runtime of the main event and that tag match i could be convinced but yes. looking at like the, the runtime of everything this was a show that nothing got time whatsoever and that would be a real bummer because liger kind of was the first like big fly-in for wrestlemania weekend and all and getting to see him against Nice, who at this point we'll be talking a lot about anthony knees nice over the next few weeks and Davey richards like that's not necessarily a dream match but if you get an opportunity to see Jushin Thunder Liger live in that context, you're taking it. So disappointing. I would have probably forked over my 20 bucks and then been really mad afterwards.
1: Yeah, I think that is a, a fair assessment. Night two does not look as solid. I'll just run through the matches here that caught my eye, which was Kevin Matthews retaining the heavyweight title over Anthony Neese, nice, who is going to be talked about a lot on this show. Craig Steele defeated John Silver. Alex Reynolds defeated Trent Barretta. John Morrison defeats Jushin Thunder Liger in your semi-main event. And your main event, a singles match, which was dubbed at the time as the New Jack Retirement Match in 10 minutes in 2013, mind you, not 2003, New Jack defeats the Necro Butcher.
2: And kind of the remarkable thing about this weekend is the number that's thrown for PWS makes it, I believe, the second largest show of the peripheral WrestleMania things behind Ring of Honor for this. So like... Especially for someone like New Jack in the tri state area, that's a huge thing. I, I'm kind of disappointed that you did not bring up Chris Chetty and Nova defeating Starman in the Hurricane. I mean, boy. <laughs> I was going
1: to pretend that match didn't exist.
2: <laughs> New Jersey as hell. And then Pat Buck versus Tommy Dreamer in a hardcore match. I know that there's a lot of people who would be very excited to get their hands on that match from 2013 just because of how probably atrocious it was.
1: I just, I can't imagine anything worse, but you know, according to the cage match attendance numbers, this second show, which happened on April 5th, 2013, drew about 1,600 fans, actually a little bit more according to the cage match numbers, which is incredible considering that it ran the same night as Evolve 19, ROH Supercard of Honor and CZW at WrestleCon. So let's dive into those and let's start with Evolve 19 crowning a champion. You know, Mike and I have not been re-watching the Evolve shows that fell into our timeline just because that would be too much and because I don't want to do that either. But, you know, one of the reoccurring themes that has bled into Drang at USA is that all these Evolve wrestlers want a title and they want a title that represents this promotion. The stuff that we've seen, I think, has been super confusing. I, I don't, <laughs> I I don't understand this storyline. Either give them a title or don't, or just wrestle for the Freedom Gate title. Like, I really don't understand why this was a a prominent angle in the world of Evolve Wrestling. I also just don't know. Under- it's another Gabe Sapolsky tournament where the bracket doesn't make any sense. Where there's... Yeah,
2: l- l- let's talk about the bracket for a second because it is probably the most gape-brain thing we've ever come across.
1: So there's one bye. The top seed got a bye, like the NFL playoffs this year, and that top seed was Chuck Taylor, who wrestled on the first Evolve show in a preliminary match where the match didn't count towards his rankings, and then ever since then, he's been on a Terran Evolve. He beat Claudio Cascignoli. He wrestled Johnny Gargano at Evolve 9. He. It is weird to think even in the... Early days with the Brian Danielson inspired version of Evolve, that Chuck Taylor was a featured player in that promotion, but he was. So Chuck Taylor got the first seed. There was a match to determine his opponent, which would have been an Evolve four way freestyle match that opened up this show with Sammy Callahan, Jigsaw, Rich Swan, and Samurai Del Sol. Uh, Mike now this is where I'm not looking at the physical bracket and perhaps that is my fault but you're looking at the results <laughs> of this show as well how does Ricochet get into the second round what did I miss here
2: I think the first two seeds gotta buy
1: the first yes okay that's that's my bad the first two seeds got a buy
2: right yeah and the way it went is that Chuck gets the face the winner the four-way because the idea that that person will be more beat up and beat down. And yes, this is c- as convoluted as we're saying, instead of just having a simple eight-person, three-round tournament, this is the way Gabe has this deal with it. And then the idea there is that Ricochet gets to face the other person who has a kind of a qualifying match for the semifinals. Like the way I look at this tournament and probably the best way to visualize it is it's essentially a four-man tournament with two play-in matches, One, both of those being that four-way match and then the, uh, the other quarterfinal matchup.
1: Yeah, I think it would have just made more sense to either... They do a four-way and a singles match, and the answer would have been to either do two four-ways or two singles matches, but the way they have it with Callahan defeating Jigsaw, Swan, and Del Sol, and then AR Fox winning by DQ over John Davis to advance, it is just so needlessly complicated. And this is a show that I remember at the time leaving a bad taste in the fans mouth just you know there there was really nothing wrong with this show i'm sure evolve over its history has had worse shows but this was a show that because of what we're about to talk about Just did a lot of damage to the purple and silver brand, and I will read from Dave in The Observer here, where he says, There were major problems on the internet pay-per-view side. WWN spent $2,200 for an internet connection to the building, but didn't get everything they needed until 90 minutes before the Evolve show started. Then there were problems, and none of the building's tech people were there. Because the feed wasn't working, they delayed the start of the show by 30 minutes, which killed the crowd. Then they decided they had to start the show, even though the feed wasn't working. For the people who ordered the show, they joined the four way opener, which was a part of the one night tournament in progress. There was another outage during the Young Bucks versus Super Smash Brothers match, including the last five minutes of the match. The general feeling was that the show was good live, but it was a frustrating watch on iPay per view. A.R. Fox pinned Sammy Callahan in the tournament final to be crowned the first Evolve champion. Fox got to the finals first by beating John Davis via Q- via DQ, then pinning Ricochet. Callahan had won the four-way over Samurai Del Sol, Rich Swan, and Jigsaw, then beat top seed Chuck Taylor. Uh, it, it should also be noted, and this plays into the show that we're talking about today, the first Strangate show on April 6th, Lost Moch lost most of the Rich Swan versus Brian Kendrick match, but the finish aired, and from there it was good, and the second Gate USA show played much better. There were a lot of eye-per-view issues, but even with the problems on the Evolve show and the first Gate USA show, the company did its best numbers in a very long time. So with all that in mind, let me quickly summarize the results of Evolve 19. Callahan won that four-way, AR Fox defeated John Davis via DQ. Brian Kendrick and Johnny Gargano teamed up to defeat Drew Gulak and Orange Cassidy. Sammy Callahan defeated Chuck Taylor. This is the match where Callahan worked an injury during his entrance where he fell off the turnbuckle and tweaked his knee to make people think it was a shoot but then Chuck Taylor spent the entire match working his knee so people knew from there that it, it, it wasn't anything AR Fox then defeated Ricochet in the tournament semifinals, a no DQ match where Eric Cannon beat Scott Reed in seven minutes then the semi-main event that hype tag match that no one saw uh, no one watching on the iPay-Per-View saw the Super Smash Brothers defeated the Young Bucks and finally to crown your first Evolved champion AR Fox defeated Sammy Callahan
2: and you know This is the path of AR Fox in this tournament makes complete sense with how things were portrayed in DGUSA. I mean, Davis being like the outlier there, he defeats AR, he defeats Ricochet, who's the person that consumed most of his 2012, and he defeats uh, Sammy Callahan, the person that consumed most of his 2011. So the booking of that is kind of fine. Having Chuck Taylor, like after all that drama about him wanting the number one seed one number one suzy going out in the first round is as pure gabe as you get i don't remember ever watching this show but it just was something that at this time i was like all right i looked this car and i was like i see enough of most of these guys elsewhere and i don't feel like this evolved title is going to mean something and now six years later i was kind of finally proven right about it
1: It's a show that if you watch it, especially in contrast to the Open the Ultimate Gate 2013 show, where it seems like the crowd, even if they don't follow Dragon Gate USA on an intimate level, they really want this show to be good, and they're actively helping the show in certain parts. Evolve 19, because it started late, because of the Sammy Callahan worked injury thing, because of just the convoluted nature of the tournament, that is a crowd that almost seems to be rooting against that show it is an uncomfortable watch and for as many hidden gems as there are in the evolve library evolve 19 is not one of them
2: no 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 and it kind of i mean had the sheen of about it that it took a real long time and pretty much the death of dgsa i would feel like to get over the sheen of like the first i don't know two dozen evolve shows because this one very much is kind of Kind of further, just illustrated why there was this problem that they had within evolve, and then I mean you had the i pay per view issues, which Gabe had a pretty good string from 2012 to 2013 of less i pay per view issues, and then you know just came to a head with him in Sakakus.
1: Yeah, the iPay-per-view issues are only going to get worse from Gabe from here on out, as is Evolve. It, the, we'll talk about this as we go along, but Evolve has a really troubling 2013, and there are some Evolve shows, 23 and 24 in particular, that I I would love to know what the live iPay-per-view buys were at the time, and just how many people have seen those shows. Because the impression that I get is that Evolve 23 and Evolve 24 – uh, let's just say not a lot of people watch those shows as it happened, but there's another promotion happening this weekend that is is in limbo a little bit, but they're kind of on the upswing, and that is Ring of Honor, who ran the Hammerstein Ballroom on April 5th, 2013, but I do want to talk about something before we get to the Hammerstein show. Which Dave has this all in the April 8th Wrestling Observer Newsletter, where Dave says, Charlie Haas quit the promotion slash was fired abruptly after an incident on the March 30th show in Asheville, North Carolina. Haas, 41, was reportedly belligerent backstage, and there was also something of a chasm between Haas and Shelton Benjamin with the regulars, since they kind of kept to themselves and they didn't view the promotion with the same attitude that the regulars did. It would be impossible for someone to come to come from WWE to have the same attitude toward, towards Ring of Honor, and Haas and Benjamin were only there because Cornette wanted some name recognition with their new TV audience. Dave says the incident from internal accounts appeared to start at the March 3rd television tapings at Chicago Ridge from a match with Haas and Grizzly Redwood. Redwood was upset because he thought he was going to get more offense in. It was supposed to be a one-sided match, but he only got a few moves in. When Haas came in, he was described as being belligerent and worse, was rubbing people the wrong way. Redwood, who was the smallest guy in the promotion, was said to have instigated things and that he knocked Haas's hat off of his head and stomped on it. Haas struck Redwood or got into a fight with him. There were a lot of versions, but the one we heard was it was not a closed fist punch, but a hard backhanded slap, hard enough that Redwood was bleeding from it. And this all happened on that Asheville, North Carolina show on March 30th. It was immediately broken up, but Booker Hunter Johnson was furious, and he and Haas got into a loud shouting match. This took place while the fifth match on the show was in the ring, but a lot of fans at the show could hear it going on. Kevin Kelly, who was at the show and has known both Charlie and his brother Russ dating back to when they worked for Jim Kettner in Delaware, tried to defuse the situation and talk him into leaving. Haas refused to leave, and eventually they came to the conclusion it would be easier if he just did the match since he was insistent on it. He faced Jeff Neal, a local worker and who is a, an area radio personality who worked a radio angle with Haas to set up the match. Haas was supposed to win, but instead Haas put Neal over with a roll-up clean in the middle. Haas did some mic work, but they cut his mic off, and he stayed in the ring and continued talking loud enough for everyone to hear him. He said he was retiring immediately, that it's time for him to be a husband and a father, and that next week's match with Shelton Benjamin on the iPay-Per-View wasn't happening. He thanked the fans in a lot of the locker room, but called Kevin Kelly an office stooge, ripped on Booker Hunter Johnston, as well as Nigel McGinnis, who he doesn't get along with. He said he was trading in his wrestling trunks for hospital scrubs, and apparently Haas had just taken a well-paying job in the medical profession. So... Mike, that all leads us to the Supercard of Honor show and I'll read down the, I'll run down these results and then we could just do a big Ring of Honor think piece for a second. But this show happened at the Hammerstein Ballroom uh, April 5th, 2013, Supercard of Honor 7 with ACH and TD Thomas defeating QT Marshall and RD Evans in the opener. Mike Bennett ended up replacing Charlie Haas and he defeated Shelton Benjamin in 742. Number one contendership match, Michael Elgin defeats Jay Lethal. There was a 10-man tag match with scum who we talked about extensively on our last episode represented by cliff compton jimmy jacobs jimmy rave rhett titus and rhino they defeated bj whitmer caprice coleman cedric alexander mark briscoe and mike mondo carl anderson of new japan pro wrestling he came in and he defeated roderick strong there was a three-way elimination tv match with uh, for the tv title with taven defeating adam cole and matt hardy R.H. World Tag Team Titles, Red Dragon defeated the American Wolves yet again. And your main event, R.H. World Title, Kevin Steen drops the belt after 11 months, and he drops it to Jay Briscoe.
2: It's an interesting weekend. This kind of, the the whole Charlie Haas and Asheville thing, hey, I've been saying for a long time, the Carolinas are weird. Of course that happened in Asheville. Like, how (laughs) couldn't it happen in Asheville, North Carolina? You know? Like, he just lines up perfectly for that. And then yeah, you you take a look at this uh Russell uh the Supercard of Honor show and it's interesting like of course Carl Anderson coming in a solid year before really the whole Bullet Club takeover would really start happening but like the Red Dragon at this time especially against like the American Wolves, that was a pretty special match and you know I mean this was a when you like you look at like how things are and how things have been in the post-Coronet area, we're starting to see a lot of things kind of congeal in a way. I mean, I don't think Mike Mondo will be much longer in Ring of Honor, to be cl- to be clear about that, talking about Coronet changes.
1: Yeah, Mondo, I know this is Shelton Benjamin's last weekend with a promotion. Mondo, when does he leave? Because he's in Ring of Honor through 2013. Okay, so he's there through September, but is on a part-time basis. He's actually really only working... He only works Northeast shows at this point, so New York and Philadelphia, yeah. and then he's gone, and I, I will defend Mike Mondo. I, I always thought he was fine in Ring of Honor. I never understood why people hated No Fear Mike Mondo. I kind of thought he was an entertaining addition to the Sinclair era of Ring of Honor.
2: And, and, and it makes sense that in Northeast, I'm looking at him at this time, he is, other than being booked randomly in Florida, well, that's an, well, never mind, I know why that is, that, that that's an arena sold show but anyways other than that for the most part he is not being poked outside of the northeast in Canada so it made sense where he was and I mean really to this day when he has wrestled he hasn't wrestled I believe since 20, uh, 2019 but he wrestles in the he wrestles in the northeast or he wrestles in just random places that pops up there I mean did he phase me was I a huge fan of him not really but did I really care about Mike Mondo not at all no
1: Dave says in The Observer that Ring of Honor set their all-time gate record with a sellout crowd of 1,800 fans. And he also says the biggest news out of this show was Jay Briscoe ending Kevin Steen's nearly one-year reign as champion. The bad news out of it was that the iPay-Per-View which had no significant problems, did have issues right at the end of the main event. The screen froze for a few minutes, and when it came back on, Briscoe was hitting the J-Driller Driller on Steam to win the title. They played the change-up for all it was worth with a major celebration in the ring with three generations worth of members of the Briscoe's family. The ne- title loss was to set up Steen's final breakup from Scum and the babyface turn, which took place the next day. At the TV tapings, And ROH did offer everyone who purchased the show a $5 credit a $5 credit for either merchandise or off the price of a future i pay-per-view because of the problem. So Ring of Honor still not totally nailing the PR aspect of i pay-per-view failures. And I remember watching this show live. I, I was trying to debate whether this was the first Ring of Honor i pay-per-view I watched or if it was the next one they had. But I remember watching the main event and not really seeing the finish and being a little bit confused about what happened. So Ring of Honor you know, it's, it's one step forward, two steps back with them, just like Evolve. And it, it, it's a frustrating time really for any independent outside of PWG at this point.
2: Yeah, I'd say PWG and Chikara at this point really kind of were at a stride. We will be talking this year about how Chikara takes this stride and kind of puts it right in the toilet. But it, it, it's something where the older guard of promotions are having serious issues one of them would start getting it figured out, and then the other one, well, we'll talk about that for the next nine episodes.
1: Yes. So uh, with that in mind, before we get to Chikara, we have to talk about CZW real quick. CZW at WrestleCon. This took place on the same night as Evolve 19. Uh, Uh, just, oh God, what a show. Let me just run down the results here. I have no notes on this show, but. Neither do
2: I. Neither do I.
1: Six-way aerial assault match with AR Fox defeating Chiva Kid, Lucky 13, Rich Swan, Shane Hollister, and Shane Strickland. Ultraviolet Rules, Joe Gacy, WWE superstar Joe Gacy defeats Matt Tremont. Uh, there was an eight-man tag with Alexander James, Drew Gulak, Kimberly, and Mr. Tofiga defeating the front of Biff Busick, Eric Corvus, Nicholas K, and Niles Sozio. CZW Tag Team Titles Blackout defeats Dustin Rayz and Eric Ryan. Greg Excellent defeated Colt Cabana in a singles match. Danny Havoc and Drake Younger went to a no contest in an ultra-violent rules match. There was a tag team number one contendership match. Very interesting names in this one. Not necessarily Oink of Dave and Jake Christ, but the Sumerian Death Squad of Michael Dante and Tommy End. I believe these are the only this is the only match that those two worked this weekend. They lose a CZW Tag Titles number one contendership match. Semi-main event, Sammy Callahan defeats Brian Kendrick and your main event. The barbed wire and gusset plate Death match, Masada defeats June Kasai.
2: That's CZW, like, <laughs> through and through, by the way, the the front of Biff Busick, Eric Corvus, Nicholas K., and Sozio, that takes me back to a certain time and there. <laughs> wow. Oh, God,
1: yes. Just, I mean, Biff Busick in CZW, in, in, in his rise we'll talk about him a little bit because he's on the final Dranget USA shows but it is there's not a direct correlation between Dranget USA shutting down and Biff Music's career taking off but on the timeline it does work out that way where as soon as Dranget USA is out of the picture All of a sudden, Biff Busick is like a guy on the independent scene. And, you know, the front is just Niall Sozio, a name I had blocked out of my memory. Uh, that That one hit me pretty hard thinking about that. Mike, we also have, this took place the day after the show we're talking about, but next week we're talking about Dragon Gate proper in Japan. So we're going to give you the rundown of the Chikara Shoulder of Palace show. Which took place at the WrestleCon venue. Uh, this was a a show attended by over twelve hundred people. And Mike, this is a good Shikara show. This is Satterine defeating Cobalt in the opener. Uh, the Battery won a four way tag team elimination match.
2: The Battery, uh, you mean?
1: What What did I say? The Battery.
2: The Battery. <laughs> the, 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 this isn't a pitcher catcher or Metallica album. <laughs> Or single whatever
1: I was so I was so upset by the throwbacks not winning that I butchered the names of the winners because Dasher Hatfield and Mr. Touchdown were in that match and they they should have won uh what I'm what I'm fascinated about is the eight-man tag team match with fist of Chucky T Icarus Johnny Gargano and Sugar Dunkerton defeating 3.0 Grand Akuma and Marty Jannetty in an eight-man tag match there was also Archibald Peck defeating Tim Dunst uh, Tim Donst, rather. I, you know, Chikara names, they, they will continue to trip me up, but it doesn't get much better as there was an eight-man tag with Soldier Ant and the Colony Extreme Force, which was Arctic Rescue Ant, Missile Assault Ant, and Orbit Adventure Ant, defeating the colony of Assailant, Fire Ant, Green Ant, and Frightmare. And then your final two matches, Eddie Kingston retains the Chikara grand title over Hollow Wicked. In your main event, Jushin Thunder Liger and Mike Quackenbush defeat Jigsaw and the Shard.
2: Yeah, this is supposed to be one of Quackenbush's retirement matches, which makes a whole lot of sense. And yeah, that this is like the Takara shutdown. We will probably talk about in three weeks' time or four or five weeks' time, according to ever get when exactly it lines up with DG USA, But we have the idea of because this was right when I was like. On the way out of Chakara at the time, because the idea was like they had like this new incompetent owner who, like, was it was a whole pun off of Saber Metrics and was like trying, was like messing up teams such as putting Sugar Dunkington and Team Fist, messing up all the ants, and then Jigsaw and the Shard starting to team each other as pieces of hate. Actually, a pretty fun little tag team, but just was, you know, that this is it, it's interesting, like, 1260 for this show, boy, things will turn around for Chakara real quick.
1: Oh, in a a shocking degree. And the other thing that things will turn around for is NXT. And we have to end our timeline with WrestleMania access notes. And and, and I I will apologize up front. I think Mike and I blew this a little bit because I don't remember going in detail about the FCW change into NXT. Mike, did we cover this and I'm just forgetting it? Or have we not mentioned that FCW is now NXT?
2: Well, we talked about in 2012 when they proposed the idea about this, when Triple H kind of took that role.
1: Okay, fair. fair, I I do remember that now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it's fully NXT. I believe the show is still on Bright House. They haven't launched the network yet. We'll be talking about the network in 2014. That's a big topic that I constantly notes notes of. And eventually he basically slaps my hand back and says, not yet, Mike, not yet, Mike, but... We're right on the precipice of it, and you know like they, the big thing about access is that they would have matches from people on the main roster and, and a lot of NXT, especially in 2013, which is real collection of matches and names here
1: yeah, it, I at this point I'm watching NXT on a weekly basis and I'm watching it through Hulu. So, I was on the ground floor of Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville in their WWE careers, and this is a this is a show where I think I have as much information from this WrestleMania access from Rob Naylor's Twitter account as I do anything else on the internet, because even with matches, just to run down the things that jumped out to me here, Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn, this was the first weekend with Sami Zayn being Sami Zayn. Unmasked in the WWE program with the scarf and the hat. If you remember that initial character, Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn defeat Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. Uh Connor O'Brien defeats Oh yeah, Percy Watson. So you really see uh the old and the new NXT merging on one card. Bo Dallas defeated Kurt Hawkins, Antonio Cesaro defeats Xavier Woods, Paige defeats Summer Rae. Emma defeats Audrey Marie. I know Audrey Marie was a name, but I don't know why. Cassius Ono defeating Jake Carter. Neville pulled double duty. He ended up defeating Corey Graves in a victory for humanity in the semi-main event. And your WrestleMania access card was headlined by R-Truth defeating Heath Slater. But I felt this was worth mentioning just for the notion that this was the first time Sami Zayn was born this was his first weekend and you would think this would be a massive deal but there's no write-ups on access anywhere to be found
2: and really other than the uh weekends where they would have it like the most recent new orleans weekend there really never has been like access has been treated like its own little like diversion that shouldn't be evaluated but we like look at all these names in total and it's just like a collection of people that is just kind of remarkable at the time that are all kind of wrestling together. And then you get some names that you'll never see from again, like Dante dash.
1: <laughs> so Mike, that is the WrestleMania weekend timeline. We have covered every single show that happened on WrestleMania weekend, 2013, just to quickly transition into the Dragon USA timeline of things. Before we talk about open the ultimate gate, 2013, I'm going to throw some things at you. Cause there's not a ton in Gabe's news wires, it's all, it's unfortunately self-explanatory. The only confusing thing was the Evolve bracket. But other than that, you know, Gabe's not in a Supercell mode. There's no stable shootouts. There, there's one weird thing Gabe does that we'll talk about. But other than that, things are pretty simple so I have to note up top that on January eleventh of twenty thirteen Trent Beretta was released from the w w e he had been with them since two thousand seven Trent goes all the way back to f c w for sure I think he spent some time in deep south as well uh maybe yeah. not cage match isn't showing that but I think he w- i I think he was in deep south but he is a an early f c w guy and was there uh, through the beginning of 2013 and then was let go. You know, he worked his first independent match back was on the HLW Resurrection show, the Heart Legacy Wrestling show. It was Lucha Libre rules with Team Teddy Hart of Brian Cage, Kamikaze, not Kamikaze, but Kamikaze, Flip Kendrick, Pete Wilson, and Teddy Hart defeating Team Conan of Davey Boy Smith Jr., El Generico, Jack Evans, Samurai Del Sol, and Trent Barretta. That match exists. That match is out there somewhere. And that was Trent's intro back into the indie scene because he's, he was an NYWC guy before signing with WWE. So Trent is released on January 11th. And then we get our first big block of matches on February 22nd with Johnny Gargano's open contract being signed by Shingo Takagi, Shimon AR Fox defending the the United Gate titles against the Young Bucks, uh, Akira Tozawa against Ricochet, Sammy Callahan against UHA Nation, Brian Kendrick against Rich Swan, and John Davis. Versus Samurai Del Sol, but that match does not happen. Del Sol was injured the night before, so we end up getting John Davis versus Trent. And then, Mike, the final note that I have is from March 6th, and this pertains both to today's show as well as next week's show, where Gabe writes Open the Dreamgate champion, Shima has revealed his team for the six man tag match at Mercury Rising on April 7th in Secaucus, New Jersey. Well, sort of. And that is Gabe's writing. Shima, Shima has announced, or revealed his team for the six man tag match. Well, sort of. Shima sent word that this year's six-man tag will be about showcasing the future of Drangate. His first partner will be Ata, who has displayed tremendous potential so far, but is in desperate need of a win. He could solidify himself as one of today's new stars by capturing the fall in this match. Shima then stated that the third member of his trio would be a secret weapon who has never been in DGUSA before. He would not reveal anything past that. And then Gabe goes on to say that these Super Smash Brothers will be booked against Aita and Shima's secret weapon on Open the Ultimate Gate.
2: Come on, Gabe, call him Max. That's a lot better. You call them Max. You, you really should have called him Max.
1: I, I find it bizarre that they didn't just. It, it, what, uh, what was the mystery here? It was. I, I, I don't. Everyone knew. Yeah, I don't see the wow factor in not announcing then Tomahawk, soon to be Tomahawk TT, then T-Hawk. Uh man went by a lot of names, like Jay-Z, but I just don't <laughs> I don't know why he wasn't announced at the start of this. Instead he was brought in as the secret weapon, but we ended up getting uh what would soon become the legendary tag team of Hawk and Ata on this show against the super smash brothers that was announced on march 6th and mike with all of that in mind wrestlemania weekend 2013 some dorky notes from gabe and everything in between i am ready for open the ultimate gate 2013
2: yeah let's get into it so as we said at the start this was on april 6th from secaucus new jersey at the midlands expo center approximate attendance of about a thousand i have not found a straight number for that and we start off the show with uh Rich Swan versus Brian Kendrick. Rich Swan would win because of the live stream, which we have a Larry Zonka review of the showcase. And Larry went off about the stream not working about this. But we had uh, Rich Swan won with a, with a uh, course and insecurity on Brian Kendrick. And this was the debut, at least in Dragon Gate USA, of Rich Swan coming out to All Night Long and singing. And, I forgot, and it was something that I was like, wow, this got over a lot more fast than I thought it did.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be referencing the PWG All-Star Weekend 9 cards throughout this entire show because I think PWG All-Star Weekend 9 is a ginormous weekend in maybe not indie wrestling history, but of this era, All-Star Weekend 9 was a huge deal because you had Trent debuting in PWG, you had... Johnny Gargano, Ar Fox, and Samurai Del Sol debuting in PWG, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the impact that that had. And you also that is the that is the show where in the preview on the YouTube on the YouTube on the YouTube gimmick, Mike, in the preview of one of the shows <laughs> they show the Reseda crowd doing the all night long thing, and that that show happens two weeks before WrestleMania. The YouTube preview was out a few days after the show, so at this point, I'm assuming most people in the audience. Watched that PWG YouTube preview. They saw Rich Swan coming out to All Night Long. They do it again on Dragon Gate USA. And as I've said the entire time since he's been a part of the promotion, Rich Swan is super over and super talented. And I don't want to say he's underused. I I, I don't know. I, this match is just a painful reminder that Brian Kendrick has always been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because this is like an excellent TV match. I understand what Brian Kendrick is trying to do, but I don't want this type of match on a Dragon Gate USA show.
2: Yeah, like this was all incredibly proficient, and you're absolutely right. It did have the feeling of a TV match, but the one thing that this match reminded me of was how out of place Brian Kendrick has been basically for everything except for that Johnny Gargano angle on the last block of shows. Like, he was awkward and was part of some of the absolute worst stuff in Dragon Gate USA year one, and he's back here having a tv match that's probably a two and three quarter star tv match against rich swan who just outclasses him both charismically that's not a word but we're gonna go with it charismatically and... charismatically there we go I just, mis- I just mispronounced it you know there we go uh, i called and... the Chikara
1: team the wrong name yet again it happens mike you know we've been doing this we've been doing these episodes for like 40 weeks in a row and and some of the names just blur together after a while
2: yeah that that's for sure that's for sure and it's, it's just you kind of come out and you see this match, and you're like, okay, that's fine. You also get the sense that Gabe doesn't know what to do with Rich Swan right now, so he just lets him go out there, pop the crowd, and get out, and he's kind of forgotten about for the rest of the show.
1: I just think Kendrick is one of those guys that if he was an ECW... Oh my god, I think we would look at Brian Kendrick's career entirely differently or even if he, it's he was either 10 years too late or 20 years too early because I think now if Kendrick comes on the independent scene his style is just so much more apt for WWE TV in 2021 rather than WWE TV in 2005, 2006. And I love his tag team with Paul London, but that w- that was an undercard act on SmackDown in 2006. That is like an upper mid-card act in 2021. and it, it, It's just frustrating to see Kendrick in a spot where, I, you know, I, I don't even have a problem with this match being on the show. I do have a problem with this match opening up the show, this limb work, slow plotting match that kind of, rips rich swan away from doing what he does best i think it was a questionable opener and as mike said earlier a two and three quarter star match
2: yeah and then afterwards we had chuck taylor come out and he said and he said i saw your and i'm quoting verbatim artistic or autistic promos chuck 2013 i'm glad that that chuck's finally kind of realized what you should or shouldn't say but took him him a while chuck
1: is a guy that has evolved with the times
2: that's very much for sure and then he, he calls Kendrick out for claiming that Drillman's Club is pissing away talent. He said that if you want to talk about pissing away talent, you've pissed away talent, Brian Kendrick. And they say they'll find out tomorrow. Then Chuck, a segue into the next match, as he said, y'all remember the Chuck the, the Chuck Taylor Invitational last year? Yes, we do, Chuck, very well. And then we had the six-way freestyle match. It had Shane Strickland, Chuck Taylor, Tony Nese, Eric Cannon, Jigsaw, and Fireant." The fall was Tony Nese with a 450 splash on Shane Strickland. And this is just, this is a discordant match that I ended up liking a whole lot.
1: Yeah, so a few things to note here. One, on Evolve 19, it was announced that Tony Nese had signed a contract with WWN. So he is a, a full-time player from here on out. I also have in my notes, quote, Fire Ant is disgustingly over. <laughs> I I, I just, I can't believe it. Like, these Chikara guys are legends right now. They are the hottest thing that isn't Akira Tozawa or Shingo on this show. It's Jigsaw and Fire Ant are, like, the next two most over guys. And as a result, I think Fire Ant kind of killed it in this match. He does a crazy dive to the floor at one point. In all of his interactions, are are right on the money. I mean, he's a, you know, just whatever Fire Ant has become now, which if you don't know, I'll leave it up to your imagination. Like, I'm more annoyed by Fire Ant's current place in wrestling, not because I don't like that character, but I just think he's so much more talented than that.
2: And and, and that's, like, always been the crux about the person who is Fire Ant, is, like, even when he was debuting, like, after he got, like, a year experience, he became, like, one of those really must watch people on Chikara. And that was about 70 years previous to this. And we, we got to acknowledge like this guy, he, he's not coming close to my GWE 100 list, but he is probably one of the, uh, I would say 50 best North American wrestlers of the last decade, maybe just because like he is so over and he gets such crowd connection with a full face mask and doesn't, and never talks, never talks ever. And he's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's really impressive just to see just the level of talent in this match because, you know, Chuck Taylor is always strong in settings like this. Jigsaw, Fire Ant, they're great. Anthony Nice is really rounding into his own at this time period. And I'm very curious to watch Nice for the last year of the promotion to see if he improves or not. Because the last time we saw him was... 2011. Uh, 2011, yeah, because he's not he's not on the final show in 2012. I was trying to remember if he was or not, but he's not. The last time we saw him was spring of 2011, and his body is better, his look is better, and he is just a better wrestler in the in the year and a half since uh, we've last seen him. The only guys out of place are Eric Cannon, who I think does his job. He's kind of the brawler in this group of flyers, and and he does that well. And then Shane Strickland, who I have always been hot and cold on. I will yeah. say his final run with Gabe, where was Shane Strickland an evolved champion at one point?
2: I'm fairly certain he was. I'm going to And that tells you like how things got with Gabe. The fact that we can't remember off our top of our head was so-and-so an evolved
1: yeah, champion. Yeah, Shane Strickland was an evolved champion. And that, that was the, the first time where strickland had really connected with gabe because gabe tries to bring him in here and i would go as far to say strickland is actively bad in this match because he he, no, he he's terrible he's, he's really bad i mean he's really rough around the edges and then and i don't know how many people remember this but in 2015 one of the things that evolve was trying to promote was like these wrestler sponsorships or mentorships rather where Johnny Gargano would vouch for Ethan Page. And so Ethan Page was like young, uh, Johnny Gargano's young boy and Rich Swann brought in Shane Strickland. And just to use those two as, as an example, you know, Ethan Page for whatever he has to say about Gabe Sapolsky and some of it I agree with, some of it I don't. Paige ended up having a very successful evolved career Shane Strickland flamed out really quickly and it wasn't until that third time that Gabe tried to use him that Strickland ended up working out so Strickland was a disappointment here but I think everyone else in this match accomplished the goal of just doing crazy shit and getting this crowd into it I went three and a half stars on this
2: yeah I had the exact same rating like working against like Shane Strickland who just looked like he was out of his depth there like that's what this was like there's a point where he where he botched two dives in a row where you're just like okay just not not ready for this kind of moment and Shane Strickland's someone that like I've watched like his Defy run and where things and then Luch Underground where things really came together for him It just like this was I don't want to say too early because I feel like that that says that the, that he wasn't experienced enough to do this he just was he had a bad night and it became very clear that he was out of his depth there.
1: Yeah, and it's, it, it I think was especially noticeable just because if Nice was where he was in 2011, I don't know if the gap between the fifth best guy in this match and Strickland, who had been the sixth best guy in this match, I don't know if that gap is as wide. But because everyone played their role so well, with the exception of Strickland, I think he looked much worse off because of it.
2: Yeah, and, and you talk about Nice. Nice came comes off like a total god in this match. Like, like, You could tell like at this point that, all right, no wonder Gabe signed this guy and waited two years because he looks completely different. He is fully formed Tony Nice in a lot of ways. And the, one of my favorite moves that I saw this whole entire weekend, well, it's, it's his running boot in the corner that just always looks brutal as hell. And the, this, this match had five people playing their part and one person who wasn't able to keep up their end of the bargain. I think like that's probably the best way to put it. Uh, anything else before we move on? What was your star rating on this? Three and a half, two. Okay,
1: right on the money so far.
2: And then we had Derek Rise versus Scott Reed with Larry Dallas. Scott Reed won with the Smash Mouth in three minutes and 13 seconds. And, uh, okay, so this is really superfluous match. Like, the, the, this really was something that then we, we might as well talk about what happened uh, afterwards where... The big thing on commentary that they said was that Connolly had the night off. Connolly came in, got into Larry Dallas's face and quit the scene. tries to get Reed to go with him, but then Reed attacks him. Marty Bell comes out for the save and then both uh uh, uh her and Caleb Connolly lay out Larry Dallas and suddenly Caleb Connolly is crazy over at the end of this like 10 minute segment and match.
1: I will say the breakup of the scene did more for Caleb Conley and Scott Reed than anything else that had been booked for them up to this point, because I thought the Derek Rice squash match made Scott Reed look awesome. And there's specifically one moment where Derek Rice is like on all fours doubled over. I think Scott Reed had just done a big power move and, and Rice is trying to sell it. And Reed hits the ropes and kicks this man in the stomach. And that is it is the biggest high spot of the match because I it might have been a shoot kick to the stomach, because Derek Rise lets out this like Oh and Reed, you know, gloats because of it. It is a it is a tremendous, tremendous spot between those two that it was nothing in the match, because a lot of it was Scott Reed doing power moves. And then Caleb Conley comes out and gets this big reaction and he breaks up with with the scene, which I think the crowd was perhaps less excited that Caleb Conley was going face and rather just more excited. that They wouldn't have to watch the scene anymore, but it ends up being, it ends up being this great angle where I think everyone comes out better for Larry Dallas does his job and he gets beat up by Caleb Conley and Marty Bell. And from the little bit of Marty Bell that we've seen, it's a very low bar to clear, but I think this was the most effectively she was used. This was, it's weird, but this was a really good segment. I
2: I just felt like that that on a show this long, like, it was effective, but I was pretty much like, all right, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. So, like, it was effective. Don't get me wrong here, but I kind of came around like, this was already a show that on the third match that we've had, one just match that was there and one match that was flawed but good. We had, like, this, like, 15-minute thing, and then leading into, like, the the next segment, the next match, it just kind of, this for me was, like, an absolute low point of the card that I was just trying to get through. Like, it was effective, don't get me wrong, but it just felt like this was happening, and then we had the rest of a Mania weekend show.
1: Yeah, I think this segment would have come across better had Chuck Taylor and Brian Kendrick not cut promos with one another at the end of the opening match, because this show really straddles that fine line of match-angle, 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 which is a formula that Gabe really falls into, especially in the last year of Dragon Gate USA. We're just about to hit this point where it was a big complaint of the Young Bucks when they ended up leaving uh, Gabe to go to New Japan and Ring of Honor was that all of Gabe's shows were match-promo-angle, promo-match, angle-angle-promo-match. It was just this very formulaic uh in not not in a pleasing way it wasn't a well-oiled machine it was this rusty a noisy rickety machine of Gabe Sapolsky booking in 2013 but i think the scene angle worked now i also think if you do this angle in everett massachusetts or in taylor michigan it probably dies a little bit of a death, but because it happened in front of this Evolve crowd, or I'm sorry, this Drangit USA crowd, in, in front of the largest crowd in their history, a hot crowd at that, I think it came off pretty well.
2: Yeah, like, that. this is the right time to do it. It just felt like, between, like, this first half of the show, with the exception of The Six Way, really, I was like, this does not feel like a big show. This felt like it was like a storyline thing. And then things picked up, but it'll be a little bit before we get to it. Yeah, absolutely. And then we get into the next match. Trent defeats John Davis by DQ. In 12 minutes and 20 seconds, Davis got DQ'd for not breaking the five count in a corner after punch with headbutts. It just was... Yeah. Yeah. I mean... John Davis. We still have John Davis in this gimmick that's completely killed him dead. And Trent is... Trent is fine here. Like, this is all effective and well worked, but now there's, like, a black hole around John Davis that completely has removed most of any enthusiasm I've built with towards him in this project.
1: So let me, let me play you some alternate timeline stuff real quick as to what okay. could have happened. And this is all, all stuff that was slated to happen at one point, but for a variety of reasons didn't, and how it not only... Reshaped this weekend, but just reshaped just the the immediate future of Gate USA. So I I referenced PWG All Star Weekend Nine earlier, and those are shows that took place in the middle of March. And like I said, it was the debut in the promotion for Johnny Gargano, AR Fox, Samurai Del Sol, and Trent. And if people have seen those shows at this point, they know that on night one it was Trent wrestling Roderick Strong. And then the match that people came away talking about that weekend was Rich Swan and Ricochet against AR Fox and Samurai Del Sol. That match was supposed to be the Super Smash Brothers and Samurai Del Sol against Rich Swan, Ricochet, and AR Fox. But Super Smash Brothers had some issues. I don't know if this was an issue they had at the border Or if they were injured, I honestly do not know and I could not figure out an answer. All I know is that that six man was changed to a tag team match. The reason I bring that up is I am someone at this point, like I said, I watched the Ring of Honor show uh, from this weekend live. At this point, I am following Ring of Honor and I am not only following PWG, I am pre-ordering the DVDs the day they are available. I am obsessed with PWG at this point in my life. It is I am in. I think I'm in the 8th grade when this show is released. I was about to go into high school, and I am utterly obsessed with every single thing PWG. I was not aware of Johnny Gargano, AR Fox, or Samurai Del Sol until I watched All-Star Weekend 9, which is incredibly troubling for Dragon Gate USA because Johnny Argano had been their champion for 18 months at this point, almost 18 months, and AR Fox and Samurai Del Sol were two guys that they had built the scope of their promotion around, and I did not know them until they came to PWG and they blew the roof off of Reseda. That AR Fox and Del Sol versus Rich Swan and Ricochet tag match is unbelievable. Samurai Del Sol would have been signed anyways, but I... I would like to think that that PWG weekend and the buzz off of him coming out of that was like, oh, my God, we need this guy right now. He could be the next Rey Mysterio. It it sounds insane given the seven or eight years we've seen of Callisto, but in, sure. this, in the scope of spring and summer 2013, I don't think it's that wild. So – I mentioned this because Samurai Del Sol is supposed to be in this match. It's supposed to be John Davis versus Samurai Del Sol. They wrestled on an FIP show in, I believe, March of 2013. I have not seen the match, but they wanted to do the rematch here, and they wanted to give Samurai Del Sol a big spot against the the heel, uh, knockout king-esque John Davis, even though this, this gimmick is dying a horrible, painful death. And instead, we get Trent in this spot instead. Trent was not... One of those guys that was like an indie darling. He was a New York Wrestling Connection guy who I don't know how he got signed when he did as Plasma. He got signed so young. He was like 18. So young. And like, again, not a name, not somebody that Gabe was like looking to bring in at any point in the immediate future in 2007 Ring of Honor. But Trent gets signed. But I think through... Like Colt Cabana always sung Trent's praises, and then you have that bubble of like, oh, like Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder really like this guy. So so Trent acclimated himself to the scene very well. But if you look at Trent's debut matches in PWG, it's him against Roddy and then him against Paul London. And they're both okay matches. I think the Roddy one's a little bit better, but it is very clear that Trent, like Drew Galloway, was one of those guys that it took him a few months to shake off of the WWE system. And I I think Trent ends up getting good. I think we'll see good Trent Beretta matches in Drangit USA. I think he figures it out pretty quickly, but he hadn't totally figured it out yet. So you're dealing with Trent in limbo against John Davis, who is doing this knockout thing that is not over. Davis gets DQ'd in this match for doing too many headbutts, DQ'd for kicking too much ass, uh, as Brian and Vinny would say. And I have to say, I think this is one of the worst matches in Drangate USA history.
2: You see, I felt like I was being terrible with two and a quarter stars. I want to hear how much you hated this thing, because I know I have hated some things a lot more strongly than you're sounding right now. Is this a sub one-star match for you?
1: It's, yes, it's a, it's a, it's, I gave it a half star. And, and I, and I want to be clear, I don't, like... I think I hated this match for what it represented more than for the actual work, because in a bubble, in a vacuum, Trent was not bad, and John Davis was not bad. Now, I do think at this point they had negative chemistry with one another. They individually were fine, but I did not think the match was was any good. I thought they were clunky, thought it was awkward, didn't think the crowd cared, and then Davis does these headbutts that like aren't it's not Shibata headbutting somebody in the blood coming down his face these were like worked headbutts that didn't look any good and that's what they called the DQ on and I might have even gone lower on this had I not loved the post-match segment which made me upset because it was like that's what John Davis could be like John Davis is so horribly missed cast and has been for basically a year at this point. Everything post-Miami, uh, John Davis has been just murdered by the booking, and it's so frustrating.
2: All right, Case, I'm going to run two matches by you, and I want you to tell me if this match, in your opinion, was better or worse than. Okay. First off, Mercury Rising 2012, Street Fight, Sabu versus Sammy Callahan.
1: I... I would rather watch Sabu versus Sammy Callahan because that match is fun bad. But Davis-Trent is the better wrestling match of the two.
2: Okay. Okay. All right. Then we have, as I'm flipping through my notebook, because I'm trying to get the exact name of this match right here and the exact participants here.
1: Where is it? I, I, I know there's, oh, there's one match for sure that I think is worse here than this.
2: Go. Here we go hardcore match mercury rising 2010 march 27th 2010 hardcore john moxley versus tommy dreamer
1: oh okay that's interesting that's the one you brought up that's not what i thought you were going to um oh what you thought i was going to bring up moxley versus homicide which is the worst match in dream at usa history that that moxley versus homicide match where homicide oh, pins. Right. yeah uh, homi- uh, homicide has moxley pin him it's the. it's literally a russo-esque finish um no the moxley versus dreamer match isn't any good but it's also tommy dreamer so i don't care i don't have any emotional attachment to it other than the fact that i want tommy dreamer off of my screen this is john davis who i still like want him to be rehabbed at this point i i this match was fine but the finish was so bad it, it just i couldn't handle it
2: okay so yeah uh Moxley versus Homicide and Sabu versus Sam McAllen are my two duds so far in this series. So those have been the, those are matches I think are... I just can't stand those well, matches. Was Moxley versus but.
1: Homicide on United Finale? Is that that show?
2: Yes. Okay, yes.
1: yeah, that is, that is the worst match I've seen so far.
2: Okay, that's fair, that's fair. And then let's talk about this post-match promo, which actually came across really strong. And actually, Davis kind of attempting to turn this bad gimmick around where John Davis attacks both Trent and the referee, Brett Lauderdale. That's a name right there, Brett Lauderdale. And he grabs the mic, runs down the crowd, and he issues an open challenge. The crowd chanted Super Dragon, which he ignored. And then Hogan, who he lit up on the microphone. And John Davis, if he was doing this rather than staring at people, I'd be like, all right, John Davis is a monster. This rules. But no, there was a guy who was – they had the – the iPhone timer guy was in the front row again, and they st- and he stood on him for, like, a full minute. And then he does something really awesome in the post-match.
1: Yeah, I thought John Davis cut an excellent promo here challenging anybody, and nobody answered. And it, it weirdly made John Davis, look really tough that no one came out and, and answered his challenge. But it's still—it's just like, at this point, for as much as I like John Davis— I just I don't want him on these shows. His character is just he, frustrating at this goods. point. It's, it's unbelievable. That's goods. exactly what he is. It, it's it's so upsetting. And it is just such a steep, steep decline from the end of 2011, where he's launching P, uh, Pinky Sanchez into the entrance way of the ECW arena, and I, you know, this guy looks like Goldberg all of a sudden. And then 2012 things just go wrong. And I would really like to talk to Gabe about what his vision was for John Davis, because it just feels really muddy, and like I said a few weeks ago, I the staring gimmick, I just want to know what the ideal reaction for it was. I just want to know in your best case scenario, in front of your hottest crowd, in front of your most loyal fan base, what is the end result of that staring gimmick?
2: Yeah, no, it, the, the, there's a lot of questions there, because it is clear after, the, after this uh, angle that davis can work as a heel wrestler and he'd be cutting heel promos and he comes off like a badass but you have him staring at people you have all the stuff that with johnny gargano that happens at evolve that's supposed to be a part of the canon but is only either obliquely referred to or played once in a promo package like there's a lot i, I i'm really wondering what was going through Gibbs Polsky's head with this character
1: yeah it's very confusing and very unfortunate
2: luckily case i have something for you that's not confusing or unfortunate it is ada and T- tomahawk tt tne defeating the super smash brothers of player mm. dose and player uno when tomahawk hits the night ride on stew in 14 minutes and 23 seconds and boy tne had instant chemistry in it and of course they should have they've been in mexico for the last few for like the last month and they worked really well with super smash brothers and i adore this match
1: yeah, this is awesome. It's, I think I remember liking this match a little bit more the times I had seen this. And and I should mention, this is a show, uh, th- these two shows, Open the Ultimate Gate 2013 and Mercury Rising 2013, are the last Gate USA DVDs that were ever released. The last year of the promotion from Bushido Code of the Warrior through Mercury Rising 2014 are not on DVD but I had these two shows on DVD, so I've seen this show, you know, close to, close to a, a dozen times at this point, because I, I really like some of the matches here. I think I remember liking this match a little bit more, but ultimately it is just one of those things where the Super Smash Brothers were so hot and so over at this time, and I do have to give some credit to Gabe, because he has the Super Smash Brothers go over against the Young Bucks the night before, and even though they lose in this match, they look really, really strong against Dragon Gate guys, which means more than looking really strong against US Indie guys and then losing, and then, you know, we'll talk about the, ne- the, the, the next show when we get to it, but Gabe very clearly rallies around the Super Smash Brothers as a team to push, but this is the last time we ever see them because they have their border issues immediately after this show ends, so... It's it's disappointing from that aspect, but this match rocks. I went three and three quarters on it. And Mike, this is this is going to sound like a gimmick question, like it's one that I'm asking in bad faith, but I really want you to think about it and okay and answer it. Which is is this the most over T Hawk has ever been in a single night? And let, let, me, let, let, let me explain, because he comes in as the secret weapon, he gets a, a, a nice little pop when he comes out, but his chops get so over immediately, because he chops player Uno, and it just about kills him, and then, you know, it, it's from there, it's a T-Hawk and A to tag match, which is a formula that, that worked time after time after time, and I was just recently looking through some stuff, and... I kind of forgot just how many great matches they had. Like I, you know, you can point to uh, the, the Shingo and Tozawa match at Kobe world 2014 as, as arguably the peak of their style, but there are so many t and Aita matches that were just, you know, Hakata star lane shows or Kobe Sambo hall shows. Those guys wrestled as a two on two team all the time. And all of those matches were good. And this is, this is the first one of their career that they really deliver on. But this crowd has no ill will towards T-Hawk. He hasn't failed them yet. He's done nothing wrong. He just got super over with the chops, and it might be the most positive response he has ever gotten in a single match.
2: Yeah, and I think this is, like, it's something where there probably is one of these uh, simulations or string universes where T-Hawk goes to the united states more and i think he would work infinitely better case as an american indie wrestler especially like him with like Busick and him versus uh drew gulak and like that era of evolve i feel like that he would have been very very effective in like the last five years of the indies versus how his native response has always been in japan because you, you do have a that that wasn't exactly a curse question you asked me. I I I think that's a, a fair statement because the chops were crazy over. They busted out the doomsday long blower and they've done it much more since then. I don't think that that this pairing had a better doomsday long blower than in this match. It just looked insane and yeah, T Hawk was super got over just doing little things and it translates very well and it's not dissimilar to how akira tozawa first got over through charisma so it i i i think that this is one of the most positive responses that t-hawk gets with the exception of maybe him winning the cage match and shaving shima's head i would say
1: yeah that's that's one i hadn't thought about that's that's a fair assumption though and it's another one of those i mean this is a big alternate timeline show of just what could have happened because you can ask yourself you know, what if t stays in America and, and somehow T-Hawk, this Drangate import, is a better fit in the Roderick Strong, Timothy Thatcher, Biff Music era of Evolve, and I think he would have killed fight it there. Fight hawks <laughs> fight pit. Um, and then you also kind of have to ask yourself, you know, what if Super Smash Brothers had gone to Japan? And I I, I don't think that was ever a legitimate possibility, but it was one that, you know, they, they kind of killed it in Drangate USA when they wrestled the, the Japanese guys And it just would have been an interesting thing to see. I think they would have gotten over there. I think they would have done well. And this match just has me asking a lot of questions.
2: Super Smash Brothers and Dragon Gate. I don't know.
1: I I think it comes down to if Uno could have gotten in really good shape... I think yeah. that could have worked. It is it is a mm. matter of can Uno keep up working that style four to five days a week, and whether he wanted to or not, because I think we saw, you know, Kevin Steen when he did that tour in 2006 was roughly Uno's size. It just so happens they also come from the same part of the world, so that worked out nicely. But by the end of the tour, you know, Steen's not a bad wrestler. He's fitting in in Gate perfectly fine. He just didn't like – being in Japan wrestling that style as often as he was, you know, I not, I'm not going to say working as hard as he had to, but just working that style so often, it was it yeah. was really hard on him. And I think that is the big asterisk there, but from an in-ring standpoint, I I do think they would have fit in just fine.
2: No, no, I think that's a fair assessment. I went 4 and a quarter on this case. I this was exactly like what I was hoping. Like well, out of this weekend, this felt like we talked about how this we talked about like the first era of the Wrestlemania weekends from 2010 to this point this felt like a big Wrestlemania weekend match because he well like if you put it on like a show two years from then you bring in Drangate guys T-Hawk and Ada versus Super Smash Brothers that's a that that is a it's not going to sell you a whole ton, ton of tickets but that's the kind of match you put on these shows and I think it overwhelmingly delivered in that and then you've made me think a lot about T-Hawk and America because of this.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, is T-Hawk the Brian Kendrick of the the Drangate universe where he was always in the wrong place at the (laughs) wrong time? Because look, once T-Hawk left Gate, it worked out for him. That run as Wrestle 1 champion was awesome.
2: Yep, yep. And then we get into Ricochet versus Akira Tozawa. Ricochet defeats Akira Tozawa in 19 minutes and 55 seconds with the 6.30 splash. And boy, did they just... They decided to move Reseda out to Secaucus, New Jersey with this one case.
1: Mike, like I said, I've seen this show numerous times at this point. I've seen this match before. I knew I liked this match. I had no idea how much I loved this match until this most recent viewing. I lost my mind. This is one of... The best matches we've watched in this series, and I had never, ever thought of it as that level of being good. I probably had it right around four stars, four and a quarter maybe, but I'll let you know right now, I went four and three quarters on this. This was unbelievable, and part of it is the crowd Part of it is the fact that, look, it's Tozawa and Ricochet. They can't do anything wrong, especially at this point in their career. I, I also just think it's interesting. One, this is the first time they ever wrestled in a singles match. And I, I know they end up wrestling each other in PWG a, a few years down the road. They wrestle each other in Gate UK as well. I don't think this singles match ever happened in Japan, which is a mistake. I, I know they were in the same unit for pretty much their entire time, with the exception of this moment where Tozawa's in Matt Blanke and Ricochet's in World 1 International, I would have shoehorned this onto some show somehow because these guys have such ridiculous chemistry with one another. But we just saw Ricochet in December of 2012 and just noted how good he was, how he had become such a well-rounded performer. He had improved so much since we first saw him. And he comes out here, and Mike, he's hes 10 times as better. This is like an all-time great ricochet performance because he does every little thing in this match so well.
2: Yeah, and it—and—and and it's also like the special time, special place because the crowd goes insane for this match. There was an axe kick that this crowd popped more for than things that would happen in the Young Bucks AR Fox Shima match. Just insane stuff. The, these two guys, as you said, I would have thrown them together and. And a King of Gate in that year and a half period where they were apart before, because Monster Express will be forming within then before the end of usa so that wouldn't happen there. Like, that seems like that would have been like a no brainer there, but these two guys rock. Their chemistry is like some people are just like they just work well together. It's a shame that we didn't get more of this. And then one of the things that really got me was when Ricochet was going for the handspring poison Rana, and then, uh, I will pulled him down right into his German suplex rush that ha- goes into the finish. I thought that that was truly exceptional. This is a match worth going out of your way for. I went four and a half, you are four and three quarters. that's not unrequited. It deserves that this this was my match of the night. I thought this was truly exceptional.
1: I couldn't believe it because again, like I always liked this match, but it was never one that really jumped out of me. and I-, I don't think there was a turning point in this match because it was I mean it was great. From bell to bell. There was no real dead portion of this match. The the one spot that I that made me almost jump off my couch was Ricochet gets hit with a backdrop driver and then he comes back and and nudges Tozawa in the stomach and then hits an axe kick to the back of Tozawa's head that just, oh my god, it looks so violent. Like, that's BB Hulk's move, and Hulk has never done one that good. Like, Ricochet completely stole his thunder. But I just thought everything about this was great. You know, Tozawa ended up kicking out of the backslide driver and then was eventually beat with the 630. This is... I mean, th- to me, this is worth a price of admission. For Forget the-, the last two matches on the show, the six-way that was fun, whatever else. It- it- this would have made the entire weekend worth it. This was a special, special match.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a match that's going to be very hard for the rest of 2013 to-, to reach up to. Like, it is that special of a match. Uh, next match, UHA Nation making his DGUSA return, defeating Sammy Callahan in 16 minutes and 17 seconds with the UHA combination. And I I just want you you get your thoughts out first, Case, because I thought that this was an interesting match, and I don't know how you, you came away with it.
1: Interesting is not the word I would use to describe this. I would actually describe it as the exact opposite. I, like, if the finish to John Davis versus Trent wasn't so bad, this would have easily been my worst match of the night. I hated this. It was so slow and so long, and it was just, you know, this is Callahan's last weekend in the promotion, and I i get the sense that Gabe knew that or at least had an idea because Callahan is signed by the Florida Evolve shows where that's Samurai Del Sol's last weekend, but Callahan is not on those shows. He wraps up here... And if you're going to have Uha come back, I'm not saying he has to squash Callahan like a bug, but 16 minutes of limb work between Uha Nation and Sammy Callahan was not exactly what I was looking forward to. I hated this match.
2: You see, unlike you, who is offering you a que- offering me a question in good faith about T-Hawk, no, this match was weird. I said interesting in a bad way. Yeah, Uha tries to do like his power moves, but Sammy is like, working his knee the entire time it's something that just kind of comes off forced and awkward it goes on incredibly long where like i did not know that that sam or i forgot that sammy was gone by the next time like this is he is wrapping up but 16 minutes for that just did not really work it was deliberate but it kind of just this was the first match after intermission doing a deliberate match right after intermission seems like a real bad idea and I, I I went two and a half stars on this, and that's mainly because it was good to see Uha back. It's good to see Uha back in good shape and not having any knee problems. But it just, uh, just weird. Like this is not a really a match that, and this is a match that, with the exception of this, I have four matches I want four stars or higher on. Was like to finish out the show. Like this match is just the outlier that felt like it probably should have gone on before the T Hawk and Ada versus Super Smash Brothers match.
1: Yes, I well yeah, I think that's 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 a great point. If you come back from intermission with SSB versus Teahawk and Ata, you you run into a point if let's say the cards are the exact same, the results are the exact same, but you have Callahan and Uha switching with that, you you do run into the issue of going from Davis versus Trent to Callahan versus Uha, and that might have killed the crowd completely uh, to the point of no return, but I agree this was God, this match was uh, like it was just bad, and I and I think there's a, a segment of the population, and I don't want to speak for them because I don't know the the majority or the minority's opinion on this match. I know TJ Hawk hated it in his review. It was very funny to me, uh, his, his review there, but I think there's a, a crowd of people that are especially pro-Sammy Callahan that like what he does, that like the intricacies of his work way more so than they like the white trash MMA side of Sammy that I could see them Trying to fight for this match, it's like no, no, no. This is actually very good. Look at the way you, you know, look at the way he worked the leg. Look at the way that it was sold. But I don't even think it's a technically proficient match. I just think this one was really boring on on a show that just I don't remember the show being this unbalanced. I will say that like it is match of the year contender stuff mixed in with like star and a quarter stuff.
2: Yeah, like that's kind of what it goes down to is like it's a real like dichotomy of a show and i think that you because the match that went to intermission was was akira tozawa and ricochet i think that this would have been fine before that match because the crowd was going to care about those two regardless like basically i'm just hiding that match before that one and moving a much better match to bring the crowd back into the show
1: yeah i think that's fair
2: and then we go into the first of the two title matches, open the United Gate, Air Fox and Shima. They fail in this defense. The Young Bucks' claims have come true. They finally have, after months of taunting them and wanting to have Air Fox and Shima, they defeat them. They pin Air Fox with more bang for your buck. And only 19 minutes and 29 seconds. This match felt a lot longer. Case, okay, so what were your thoughts?
1: I love this match. I, I think this is probably one of. And, and it won't register this way when I say it, but let me explain. I think this is probably one of the more important Young Bucks matches in the history of their career. Because throughout, let's just use the Drangit USA timeline, where they come in and you know they, they wrestle Shima and Yokosuka on the first show, and they're not the future, they're the now, and, and they're pushed as this hot act, and... It all seems to be building to the Young Bucks versus Speed Muscle and Phoenix, but we don't get those matches for a, a number of reasons. So the Bucks leave after WrestleMania weekend 2010. They go to TNA. They're never used right. They're Generation Me. They're Max and Jeremy Buck. They're this and they're that. They come back to Ring of Honor in the summer of 2011, and people think, okay, well, they've figured it out now. You know, They're, they're going to be PWG Young Bucks in Ring of Honor, and it's going to be great. It's going to be exactly what Sinclair needs, and... Instead, they run into issues with Jim Cornette and the booking and they're not used right and the Ring of Honor office doesn't like them and, and whatever, so they're out of Ring of Honor and then they, you know, they're at this point where they're close to walking away from wrestling at the start of 2013, and we talked about that during the SoCal Triple Shot was, you know, yes, they're still killing it in PWG, but they are at a, a career rock bottom at this point, and it is gay. Bring them back into the fold I think they have two very good matches in Southern California and one match that I, I think Mike liked more than I did. I wasn't too crazy on the DUF match. And then they come in here, and, you know, this just was the match they need to have a big win in a great match in front of a big audience because it's not like they hadn't worked big shows for Ring of Honor in the past 18 months. But they weren't doing this. They weren't putting on a four-star match like this was in front of those Ring of Honor crowds, and they certainly weren't winning the Ring of Honor tag team titles. Now, you know, what difference in the grand scheme of things do winning the Open the United Gate titles make? Probably not a ton, but it was just a necessary win for the Young Bucks at this point in their career. They always had great chemistry with Shima. They always, always, always had great chemistry with AR Fox. I think it's disappointing those two actually didn't wrestle more often between Fox and the Young Bucks because I think they bring out the best in one another because they they bring an element of danger when they wrestle one another and that was present in this match. And I I think this is like a a real turning point in the Young Bucks career. It gives them a home. It gives them a title. It gives them something to do outside of PWG and they desperately needed that at this point in their career.
2: Yeah, and it's funny that you bring that all up case about the Bucks needing this. I recently finished the Bucks book and they don't talk too much about DG USA other than Gabe as someone taking a chance on them. And then eventually they moved along and they, they went to places that they were starting to have kids and they needed to have the money. But upon their return to DG USA, there's really only like three paragraphs about it and it's all about this match. So they recognize how important this match was and it's something where like the true star in this match weren't the Young Bucks, it weren't CMA. It was A.R. Fox, because you have Air Fox now, who's already had an insane weekend, and Lenny Leonard does a great job of getting that over, deciding for like the first like six minutes just to take all the heat. Take all the heat and he gets like the big comeback. There's that four fifty on Toshima's knees that he does on I think it was against Matt that looks absolutely insane. And it comes together to tell like this both like this conquering like thing of like we said we will do this and then we did it and then you have the fact that air fox in a lot of ways really matured over this weekend he he is now the evolved champion he doesn't really need to be around shima and this might be the most superfluous that i think shima has felt like in dragon gate usa because he's more just taken taken for the ride he's not dropping the fall here and he's good in this match but it's really a story of the other three guys here
1: air fox really worked the prototype wrestlemania weekend schedule this weekend because he works the three matches in Evolve the night before and then has the one here. And then he is in the latter match the next night. So it's five matches in three days for AR Fox. It was he he might have been on that CCW show as well. So AR Fox was just all over the place. And the fact that he was able to pull out what, again, I thought was a legitimately great match between he and the Young Bucks is, is very, very impressive.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the crowd got back up after the really... Weird, bad, Uha semi-match. I went four and a quarter on this. I thought that this was another strong match on the show.
1: I, I am right at four, but I can't knock you for going that quarter star higher.
2: And then, in Case, we get into the main event. Probably the last famous match of the of Dragon Gate USA. It is Johnny Gargano deferses Shingo Takagi. He defeats Shingo Takagi by referee's decision, having a ref stoppage due to a Gargano escape that is using his... The rope in his waist, his waistband, to tap him out after getting a low blow. There's two ref bumps in 33 minutes and 20 seconds. And now we have the moment that we kind of are speculating. Like, is this going to feel like the moment that Johnny Gargano really does take the step up and becomes what Gabe Sapolsky has positioned him for for a long time? And, case, do you think this happened in this match?
1: I think so. I, I, I don't know what the consensus on this finish is, but but I will say this. I I think this match, which is one that I've always held in really high regard, I think it is perhaps the best Gargano performance of all time. Maybe some of the NXT matches at this point have him beat some of the good NXT matches with uh, DIY against The Revival, not the... Gargano versus Cole and Gargano versus Ciampa stuff, but I, I've always looked at this match as something that was near perfection, and I've always defended the finish on a number of levels. I I, I think I mean uh, let me talk about the match real quick, which I think it can be summarized not by any of the words I say, but if you watch this match and look in the lower right-hand corner of the screen when Shingo hits Johnny Gargano with a straight right hand towards the end of the match, you can see the timekeeper, Dr. Keith Lipinski, his jaw drops. And Lipinski looks like he's in a trance watching this match. And it is the perfect summarization of what this is, because it starts really slow. It takes a while to get going. It almost has that classic Dreamgate structure. But once things hit... They are on such another level, and this is the this is the Gargano, this is the output that I expected from him in 2012 that I did not get, and it just so happens that Shingo, who the last time Shingo was on a Drangit USA show, uh, just to give you reference, it was Brody Lee versus Aki Bono, B.B. Hulk and Homicide versus Tozawa and Moxley, and... Shingo wrestled Shima in a singles match that's how long he's been gone from this promotion but the thing with Shingo is he does not miss a beat he is one of the 10 greatest wrestlers of all time and he kicked Johnny Gargano's ass in this match and it was it was an incredible journey to watch and then the finish happens where the ref goes down Gargano hits him low Gargano brings out the rope he taps Shingo out by nefarious means And I have to say, I like the finish. And Mike, I don't know what you think of it, but I think for all of the other angles that you could argue were not necessary on this show, the scene breaking up, the Brian Kendrick, Chuck Taylor promo, the John Davis promo, and the angle that that match was are all unnecessary because what you need in this company to draw at this point is a main event angle that wants people, that that you want to get people to watch the next show that they need to be focused on the story coming out of this weekend. If I was booking this promotion, I would have done the same exact thing. I don't understand why people have a problem with this. I thought it worked with the story. I thought it was well done. I didn't think it was, uh, cringeworthy in the slightest. I thought it was a great angle. I love the finish four and three quarter stars.
2: You see, I liked this match a whole lot. I was four and a quarter. It's not my match of the night. Uh, it's something where I think that opening section where basically it was Shingo dominating Gargano, then they went to the floor. It just kind of for me like this. This was I I don't want to use the word superfluous again, but it was one of those things that it just kind of got to points like all right, we we know what this section is we we know we know what kind of match this is trying to be. Let, let let let's now hit fast forward a little bit, and that 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 took it down for me a little bit, but. When this match got going, like, the final 10 minutes of this match, this match really got going. Like, the late strike exchanges where, for, like, the first time in the promotion's history, someone is going toe-to-toe with Shingo Takagi, and Shingo is the one that is begging off. Like, that was a big moment for Johnny Gargano. And the, the, the I know that there's now a consensus that Johnny Gargano is bad, that Johnny Gargano has been doing certain kind of matches for, like, the majority of his career— but I'm not going to say like that. This is the, uh, the that this is the original sin here because when you look at how Gargano has per- been portrayed as a champion up to this point, I won't say he's dying on the vine, but I'd say he's massively overwhelming. I would say, at least in my opinion, like I came away with so far with the first year of his reign, going like, okay, he kind of feels like BB Hulk in a way, and that's not a good thing. It was okay for BB Hulk because he was BB Hulk, but when you're trying to build this purse, this company around. A native star and you're booking them like bb hulk was booked in 2009 2010 it doesn't work but this finish i felt like really you needed to have something to shake up johnny gargano and his performances here You, you very clearly have a moment where you could tell like that he just decides well i've given this guy everything i've taken this guy nearly everything and i have to get out of this match i have to escape my title and then you had, the, you had the two ref bumps. I forgot that there was a first one to begin with. But the second one, which was like really well-timed with how Gargano executed the turn and then what happened post-match, I thought was excellent stuff. I went four and a quarter on this.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing about this. I, I think it worked. I completely understand Gabe's point of view for wanting to do what he did, and, and I would be in the same position. I think this is one of the better matches in the history of Drang at USA. I It is a testament to Shingo, who's been gone for three years at this point, for him to still be the number one Dragon Gate guy, the most over guy on this show. He's unbelievable. I, it is a testament to him. I think this is the performance that Gargano desperately needed, because I really like him in this match. And I, I just think this is a terrific way to close out a show that I, I always consider to be one of the best Gate USA shows in history I would say at this point it's it's probably one of the best but I don't look at it as a number one contender anymore but with Tozawa mm-hmm. versus Ricochet and Gargano versus Shingo this is a really special show
2: yeah and I don't have it probably would make my top 5 list I would say that's a fair probably a top 5 U S A USA show does definitely feel like the last show of huge consequence, I'll say, and I think like it's something that like seven years later, I nearly exactly remember word for word Johnny Gargano's post match promo and Lenny Leonard doing an excellent job just being a gasp. But I was like Johnny, what have you done? Johnny, really, are you actually doing this? There, really selling this real well, and you know, it kind of was a very smart thing like the idea of. Gargano feels like he's completely justified and acting like nothing has changed, giving like this almost psychotic, did you have a good time delivery? And I just came away with this. It's interesting because I think I was a lot higher on the show this time than I was in the past, but I don't necessarily have the overall peak that I did before.
1: I, I would say I completely agree with all of that. I think Gargano's... Character performance is awesome, and uh, and I it's one of those things. I'm very curious to see as we go along how Gargano's heel work ages, because at the time, it was something that people were raving about, and I, and I know there's a match uh, with Rich Swan coming up that right. I'm very curious to see how that holds up. Because at the time, that was not only like a great match, but it was one with great Gargano character work. And I'm very curious to see if that remains true as we go along. For now, I think I'm a... i am I, I should say I'm a little bit higher on Gargano than you, but the character work is excellent. The match was excellent. This was a three-and-a-half-hour show. It felt like a Gabe old-school... Just a, an old-school Gabe show, and it, it was great.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming we'll come away with this show as... Uh, Big success, and it'll be interesting to see how this carries over into a show that I feel like I remember a lot less of.
1: Yeah, so Mercury Rising 2013, this took place on April 7th, 2013 from the same venue. This show will feature Soldier Ant versus Anthony Neese, just like we all predicted when we started this show, we would be breaking down Soldier Ant versus Anthony Neese, as well as Scott Reed versus Caleb Conley, the Super Smash Brothers versus Eric Cannon and Sammy Callahan of the DUF, Brian Kendrick versus Chuck Taylor. The ladders are legal. Seven way fray match with Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Facade, Christina Von Eri, Ar Fox, Samurai Del Sol, and Uha Nation. John Davis versus Orange Cassidy. Shima Ata and Tomahawk TT versus Johnny Gargano, Rich Swann, and Ricochet. In your main event, Shingo versus Akira Tozawa. Mike, I've seen this show before, and I remember. I only remember the last five minutes of the main event. I have It's like I was men in black zapped for this show. I have really no memory of it.
2: Yeah, I think we're both in the same boat here, bud. This will be an interesting thing to talk about next week. As we've been saying, as we've been going along, now there are only nine more Dragon Gate USA shows before the promotion is dead. Anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here?
1: No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to these final few shows, especially the last shows of 2013. I just have some very fond memories of whether the shows are good or not. I, I don't know, but I am just very excited to put a bow on this series. I think these last few shows are going to be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, me too. So you can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. And you can follow me at Fujiheya. For Case, I'm Mike. We'll catch you next time on Open the Voice Gate. Rewind and rewatch. Take care.